like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. I may have almost said other things, but I didn't, so it's all good. We are here uh, at the start of a new series. Um, we're, the, the rhythm's a little off because of our new uh, bi-weekly format, but we're here uh, starting a new series called Movie Brats. Um, if you're not familiar, folks, uh, there was a group of directors who went to film school together. Um, you might have heard of a few of them. There's uh, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, John Milius, Martin Scorsese, and Steven Spielberg. Um, all have done some things. And the idea of the series is we're trying Wait, to get some of our... Yeah, I mean, you know, you've heard of right. a few of them. Maybe you've heard, yeah. Um, but we're trying to uh, check off some of our gap lists of so movies from these directors that we haven't seen. Uh, we're not going to get to all of these directors. And to be real, I've seen all of Spielberg's. Well, I've seen all but like three of Spielberg's movies. I have seen all of Martin Scorsese's movies. Um, and honestly, I've not seen uh, a couple of Lucas films. I think I've not seen um, I've not seen THX. I think he might have one more that I did not see. But I did see American Graffiti. And of course, I've seen all the Star Wars movies. Um, but. Uh, Ford Coppola, you know, there's some big ones I haven't seen. There's some big ones. Uh, De Palma is my biggest gap in this group of directors. Um, we watched Red Dawn on this podcast. That's the, the big claim for John Milius. Um, he's in a, he's done a couple other things I've seen. Uh, but uh, yeah, we got we got some things to check off. So we're going to be working through this list. Uh, we got four movies coming at you from for this series before we move on to something else. Um but this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, De Palma's film Blowout from 1981. Uh, stars John Travolta, Nancy Allen, John Lithgow, um, uh, some other people, Dennis Franz, Peter Bowden. Um, I think most of the other ones are going to be a lot smaller uh, impact. Um, this movie has a 4.0 on Letterboxd. Uh, I had you know, heard about it. I had not seen anything about it, but it, it was one that I was like, yeah, this sounds like a good starting point. So um, it's available to stream on Amazon prime, but it's also uh, on the criterion collection. Um, before we get into our full review of the film though, let's just take a moment, pull back, check in. Corey, how are you doing? I'm fine. I did get to go to Salt Lake last week. I love Salt Lake city, but then I, you probably saw my post. I, we stayed in a historic house. I will never stay in another historic house there. Oh. Um, I didn't realize because I thought that their um, environment uh, is very like, you know, Idaho. Idaho's high desert, very dry, you know, here. But apparently not because they have a lot of roaches. I saw oh. regular, I guess they're American cockroaches. I saw some German ones. We had to escort two um, wasps outside of the house. Um, yeah, it was very ex exciting, not in a good way. I also think that the house was haunted. I also felt like we were going to get murdered. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't get bad feelings a lot, but I just 
you know who um but we got to go see hannah gadsby mm. um yeah oh, the comedian right yeah yeah um, she's great so, so i tried to watch um oh nanette yeah and i was not in the mood for it so i stopped ah. but my friend really wanted to go and i really enjoyed myself and i mean if anybody knows a lot about utah it was i mean it's pride month and it's salt lake it's very uh wow i'm trying not to be offensive um it's very it's progressive it's you know whatever in salt lake um kind of like boise is in idaho um yeah so some of that humor i was like waiting for you know uncomfortable whatever but because she comes for us americans you know? Yeah, Hannah's very articulate, very very funny, and uh, Nanette is an incredible special. Um, I I, I, think... I believe Hannah had a you know, one after that too that I've not seen, but Nanette was. Is it Douglas? It might be. I I don't know, but which I love when people give their pets like really, you know, serious human names. Her dog's name is Douglas. It's named after her dog. I love it. But anyway, we had a good time. It was fun. Yeah. Very I just cool. really love going to Salt Lake. I just didn't know they have roaches. I mean, I, I guess everywhere has roaches. I, I was expecting you to say... Oh, in Idaho? We don't have roaches. Interesting. I, I guess... Yeah. I've, you know, I've only really lived in Florida, so... Yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah, um... You know, I'm I'm doing fine. Um, been on vacation. I uh, got to see a couple of uh, screeners this week. Um, got to go to my favorite burger place because of one of the screeners because it's right. What's your the favorite burger place? Hangry Bison. Um, it oh. is a uh, place in um, Winter Park, and uh, I, I actually just talked about it extensively on Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. So they're getting a lot of free advertisement from me, but I do love their food. So um, they have. Uh, a lot of options for the burger patties because it is like a burger place. Um, like you can get their staple obviously is the bison burger, which I've actually not tried uh, partly because it's a little more money than some of the other burger patties. Um, but uh, I've had last night I had the Italian um, sausage patty and uh, that was so far been my absolute favorite, but I love their salmon burger. Their Turkey burger is really good. Uh, their sweet potato fries are my favorite. I love them so much. Um, and uh, Taylor got to go with me last night to the uh, the screening and oh, nice. also Hangry Bison. So she also enjoyed the, the, their food. They also have the best fried green tomatoes. I love fried green tomatoes. These these fried green tomatoes are immaculate. Like I don't, they're just they're so good. I don't usually get appetizers, but I have to have the fried green tomatoes at this place every time I go. So. Um, yeah, uh, so it's it's been a simple week, but a good one in that way. Um, it's been rainy a little bit, uh, which is all right, too. But, you know, sometimes rain is like worse timing kind of thing. Um, was disappointed. I got to see Jurassic World Dominion at one of the screenings, and I was really excited about it because I love Jurassic Park. I like Jurassic World. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the other three movies in that franchise. I do like them more than some people. Uh, but I was excited for this one, and it is it is so bad. Um, oh, no. My full review is up at BerkReviews.com, but yeah, I, I am not a fan. 
Um, Matt and I will be talking about it next week on Bloody Awesome. But uh, yeah, it is it is really bad. Um, yeah, it was hard to even not like I was very close to giving it a void like the plague, but I, I ended up giving it just a little nudge to because there's still stuff in it that you can't deny. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that it's, you can. It's sad, though, because like I feel like movies like that are just better on the big screen, you know? Yeah. And if that can't, you know, and sometimes movies aren't that great, but you can still have a good time. Yes, exactly. Watching them. I don't and... expect every movie to like challenge me intellectually, you know, or like yeah. to make the world a better place. But I just think that that's sad that it is one of those bigger movies. And this one feels almost insulting uh, to the fans, like intentionally. I honestly think the oh. filmmaker is like sticking it to the fans. Is it um, a different director? It is the same director from Jurassic World, but he stepped away. His name is Colin Trevorrow. He was supposed to direct the last of the Star Wars trilogy, um, but then they pulled him off of it, and JJ took it over. Um, and he he had a uh, movie called Book of Henry that is oh, pretty I... notoriously bad, um, and it, it is bad. Uh, but it had a, it had it did so bad that that's why he lost the Star Wars gig. So my theory is that he sabotaged this knowing his career was like on the way out anyways. Uh, and this is like his big swan song um, of like an F you like to the world kind of thing. But they got a lot of big names. Oh, yeah. Well, not big names, but like good actors in Book of Henry. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. A lot of them were uh, at the kind of the cusp of their career. Um, you got Tremblay. You got Naomi Watts, uh, the dude from Breaking Bad, whose name I always forget. Um, North. Yep. And then uh Jacob Martin now. Uh he was Trembling? Lieberman. He was Lieberman before. He's the um uh, he's in it and he's in uh a couple things. But yeah. Um Oh. Jurassic World, not great. Um uh, Dominion, Jurassic World Dominion, not great. But we're not here to talk about those. I think it's let let's shift into the movie of the week. Blowout. 1981, I knew very little about this going in other than I, I needed to jump into the De Palma's films. I've only seen a couple prior to this. And um, I like John Travolta. I'm not a huge Travolta fan. Um, obviously, his now stuff in the last 10 years has not been great. But, uh, you know, this is the era of Travolta being, like, you know, up and coming. He's in Saturday Night Fever, Grease. Um, you know, and then uh, he, he blows up from this movie. Uh, I was really impressed with this film overall. Um, I, I was definitely hooked. I saw a lot of, uh, I'd always have heard De Palma was like compared to Hitchcock. Like he was always trying to be like another Hitchcock. You see a lot of that in the cinematography and the camera choices in this film. There's some really cool overhead shots, a lot of interesting camera placement. Um, there's a sequence where Travolta is, uh, as the sound man is like working to, to, um, I can't remember if he was editing the video at that time or if he's mixing the sound, but the camera is just like spinning in a 360 degree rotation of, of the room while Travolta is just like moving around in the room. I thought that was a really cool sequence. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie, but the story is also really compelling, easy to get hooked into. It, it uh, parallels with tons of um, true crime type stuff of the era, like the conspiracy theories that were happening in the, in the sixties and seventies because of the assassinations and Watergate and all of that. There's that distrust of, of, the government. Um, I uh, thought Nancy Allen was really good in this, although it's, it sounds like you may not have liked her in this. Um, Lithgow plays 
such a uh, creep in this movie. Um, he's very good at doing that. Uh, it's kind of funny because like, if you look at his uh, 80s career, he's doing a lot of villainous or like weirdo characters. And then he kind of turns that into his comedic persona with uh, Third Rock from the Sun in the 90s. Yeah, um, that's what I knew him from for a long time. Yeah, he takes the weirdness and then they but they make it like a, a admirable quality because he's an alien. And then um, even like when you watch him in like Daddy's Home 2, he's still able to channel that that quirky part of it. But he's been a villain since then. And he's he always does a really good job. I mean, Dexter, he's the Trinity killer in season four. Um, spoiler, I guess. Um, yeah, I know. I was like, can we talk about that? Because I wanted to be like, he's such a good bad guy. So good in that. Yeah. Um. But I, I really like this film a whole lot. It's like, uh, what did you think? I, um, I feel like the beginning, uh, I'll save that for spoilers. Um, I enjoyed it. And I really like John Lithgow as a villain. I think that it's like, you know, I, I, why I'm sure you did too, but I watched, oh my God. I watched the uh, Siskel and Ebert review of this movie. Oh, I did not watch it. I actually just read Ebert's review. <laughs> oh, well, I should have done that because they spent more than half of the video just showing clips of the movie, like long clips of the movie. But they said that like John Travolta is very believable character in this movie. But I think that John Lithgow is very believable. And I feel like sometimes that makes you win a villain is more believable like that. And you think about how many people like this, you could come in contact with every single day of your life. Um, or that you like rub elbows with these people on a daily basis. I think that that is far more scary than, you know, crazy zany way over the top, scary stuff. Um, where, you know, where they're trying too hard and yeah, I like the story. I think that it was interesting yeah i um i didn't know what i was going to get into when i when i jumped into it and then this is one of those movies where right when it when it starts um it it has a like throwback slasher film i mean we're we're watching a slasher film so it's kind of a cool way of like the palma what yeah this is not what that sounds like (laughs) i haven't seen a couple of his movies so i don't know if he'd done a slasher prior to this um, that opening slasher film is it's through POV. So it's uh, this is 1981. So it clearly is referencing like Friday the 13th and even the opening of Halloween, right? Where we're in the POV of, of Michael Myers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie's doing that, which is really cool. Um, and then, but it's a, uh, it's all getting to the scream at the end, which is so bad. Like the scream, like the girl screaming. I feel like uh, I could sounds, have done a better job. Oh, it's so bad, but it's bad on purpose. Because yeah, he's the sound guy, and he's like, "Yeah, but no one's gonna care because they're like you said, they're here for the boobs." Boobs, and um, you know, it's it's a funny kind of uh, it's mocking that genre. The I think oh, I don't so feel like, hard, I but I feel like he's almost mocking the perception of the genre more so than the genre itself. Like that is how people act about the slasher films in the eighties, right? Like that it's all about it's the exploitation genre. It's all about getting naked girls on the screen. The ones that it that overcame that like halloween and and even the first friday the 13th you know they become more than that but there how many slasher films of the 80s are nothing but that right they're just like getting girls naked on on camera and then having interesting kills quote unquote interesting kills a lot of them are not interesting but the ones that really work are 
And uh, yeah, the, this uh, the sequence because the guy it, it makes no sense because like I'm like how why can no one see the person moving through the hallways like he's clearly there it's not like it's a ghost, um, but it's still like it's fun POV stuff. It's a really cool int- introduction to the film and to his job because it it like you said it it throws the viewer off because we're here for like an espionage movie. It sounds like what's this slasher thing going on, which of course thematically does tie back into uh some other stuff but we'll hold off on that for spoilers um listeners again this is available to watch on amazon prime you can buy it on criterion something i might do actually because i really like this movie uh and it, it it might need to sit on my shelf um because it's not available uh to buy on vod anywhere else uh from what i could see it might be on youtube but it was not on voodoo which is usually where i buy my movies um, and so I was, I was stoked that it was on prime. Cause otherwise I was like, Oh, I thought I had this already. Um, I actually though, uh, kind of parallel. Um, I had a movie called blow up from 1966, um, that this does pull from, uh, Ebert oh. actually pointed it out. So as soon as I finished watching this, I was reading the Ebert review and Ebert's like, it pulls from uh, blow up, which blow up in 1966 set in England is a photographer who thinks he captures a murder in a picture and he becomes like obsessed with trying to solve the murder. Familiar. Yeah. You haven't seen it because it's, it's barely that that is 30 minutes into the movie before he finally figures it out. I do believe blow up might be where Austin powers at you. You've seen Austin powers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's several sequences. And I think in the first movie where he's taking pictures of like the girls, and he's like, yeah, baby. Yeah. And he's like, yelling. That that's major part of blow up. And there's like, like in between him obsessing over the murder he thought he took a picture of, he has there's like an orgy sequence. So it's just like, mm-hmm, this movie's not really interested in the murder plot so much, is it? Like it's more about this dude's life, and then that's one element of it. Um, this movie's much more focused on that aspect. Um, but we will pause here uh, before we talk about any other plot details, so that if you haven't seen it, you can stop. But Corey. Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about this movie in great detail. You have been warned. So, um, I almost said the big twist there, but uh, John Lithgow's character is um, the one who shoots out the tire, because that is the whole premise here. Um, Travolta's out there recording audio for for movies, and he's just capturing sound, something sound people do. Uh, Has a very powerful shotgun microphone. He picks up that conversation where they're like, yeah, it's, it's weird. What is he doing? sees a car driving down the road. He's recording the sound tire pops. It goes off the bridge. He dives in, saves Nancy Allen's character. Doesn't see the driver, but he hears on the tape, a gunshot before the tire pops. So he believes someone shot out the tire. Now we happen to know because of the way this movie is filmed, that Burke is covering up that he did shoot out the tire. He's replacing the tire with the one that looks like it just blew up, blew out. I should say, um, and to cover it up and to to throw the police off the scent uh, before he kills Nancy Allen's character, he starts killing other, you know, sex workers um, in very Hitchcockian ways, uh, you know, just murdering them left and right. And it's pretty wild. Um, super creepy, scary villain because he is so, so normal. He's so calm about it when he's talking about it, when he's talking to the women so chill just like yeah hey how's it going it's it's disturbing to say the least yeah i just 
think that those are the people we come in contact with, you know? <laughs> now, I am curious that, uh, I'm actually a little surprised that you like this because notoriously over the years we've been doing this podcast, you don't like movies that end on the nihilistic perspective. Um, Nancy Allen's character is uh, not saved. She is murdered. Kind of surprised by that, actually. Yeah, I, I was too. I was, I was really expecting um, him to get to her in time, and then. Wow, way to drop the ball, Jack. Um, yeah, I wasn't really expecting that, but I think that the end is interesting. I, I he's like haunted. You know, he's he's at the. Uh, they actually. He uses her scream. Yeah, it's very disturbing. So disturbing, right? That he yeah. uses, uh back to that we we were describing the opening sequence that the 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 slasher film he's working on the scream is bad. Throughout the film they're trying to find a replacement. He doesn't have the time for it at the, because he's focused on this well, murder. <laughs> it makes you question like it made me question. I'm just assuming you felt the same way that I did that you know, there's one scene where they have, like, these two girls in the sound booth, like, going mm-hmm. back and forth, and they're, like, throttling each other's throats or pulling each other's hair, trying to get, like, an authentic, good, you know, like, really good scream, and they just can't get it. And I guess that's the only way to get a an authentic-sounding scream. That sounds terrible. Not really in movies, guys, but, you know. I mean, you gotta wonder sometimes... uh you know, was the Wilhelm scream somebody actually getting pushed off the thing? Um, but that's the beauty of this film to me is the writing of it, that everything pays off. Like that opening sequence could just be a throwaway introduction to him. But it's I, I, it yeah. it's how we end the film. It's a perfect bookend. It's it's tra- it's so traumatic because his he's dead inside at the end. Like his eyes, like he looks so distant, so distraught. And yet he did it. He still did it. He still used her scream. Um, and I don't know, like, he, I mean, it's just all very interesting. It's all a very interesting story, like, how it starts and how he's the sound guy, and so he knows how to hook her up to a wire, and she thinks that she's going in to talk to this reporter, and he has to, I mean, he, what she goes through is awful, of course, but, like, he suffers too you know he's trying to find her all through like this subway system because he hears what's happening and he gets to her and it's just just seconds too late you know and like i i don't know like you feel for his character oh yeah for sure there is something very problematic about him though like i feel like we should talk about i mean 2020 2022 is different than like 1980 whatever but like he meets her and he like latches on to her and yeah it, it was very troubling to me because like right away he's like we'll leave together we'll just leave town together Let's go away. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I didn't. I just felt like that should be something that's talked about because I don't really feel like it is. I think it's it's a frequent uh, trope in a lot of movies where like the guy just assumes the girl likes him as much as he likes her. And then they they go about their their lives. I mean, 
a very recent film that I think does that in a similar way is um, a baby driver. He meets Deborah. Um, mm-hmm. She's, you know, like, hey, are you willing to leave and come with me, you know, at the drop of a hat, even though we've known each other for like five minutes? And she's like, yep. And you're like, well, wait, why? Though, why? Um, Could be a serial murderer. Yeah, it's it seems like not the right idea. Um, Background checks, guys. Um, yeah, I just felt like there was something very weird about this because she seems like she likes him, but like, you know, she isn't going to even go out for for a drink with him. Like, she's not invested. It doesn't seem like I don't know. It's just very off putting to me. But I think that it. It is just a very interesting story and like wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, he saved her, you know, and I think it's very interesting. Like, cause I mean, I've heard about Watergate, you know, we know about like assassinations, but, um, like seeing how she and her partner, I don't really know what you would call that relationship, how they set up these powerful people and then take photos, and you have to, I don't think that what she's doing is okay either, but it's like, she's not completely someone who you can't empathize with, because she's like, I'm a makeup artist, do you know how much they pay me? And I mean, she lives in this big city, I don't know, Mm -hmm. she's not a completely terrible character, so you can't even hate her, you know? Because us sounding like she's setting these people up and taking pictures and trying to ruin their lives and blackmail them and stuff, you know she seems to be more of like like she is the the person who is she's not the one organizing it i guess is what is fair to say and she she seems pretty naive about what's happening when she's talking to i guess is her pimp although they don't call him a pimp in the movie i don't believe but um she seems unclear of all of the ramifications of what she was doing like not that she was completely clueless and i think even in the movie like she doesn't try to act like she had no idea but mm-hmm. she was like, wait, were we doing like this? Was this what was happening? Like, she seems out of the loop. And, um, and like, she she does hit the guy over the head with a wine bottle, thank goodness. Because that whole scene uh, got very rapey. Yes, very quickly. Like, no means no. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, that, I forgot about that scene. Yeah. Um, and also, like, if he hadn't been out there trying to record, se- like, sounds up in the middle of the night and creeping out other people, like, I mean, not that he was really doing anything, you know, but um, she would have drowned. And, like, she doesn't, she didn't understand the implications of that either, like, or that, you know, her partner wasn't there to save her and that John Lithgow's character was going to let her die. Oh, let her is definitely not like he was he intended for her to die, you know, like that was the plan for sure. Um, God, and I know that we've talked about this before, but drowning just is terrifying to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely horrifying. Uh, No, no, no debate there. Um, I mean, because especially if you're like awake when it's happening, you know, like that, like if you're unconscious and you drown, that's still obviously I assume bad, but like if you're aware that you are losing the ability to breathe, I can't imagine Um, that that's so terrifying to me. Gosh. And just like, it's just so funny how all the events in this movie occur because 
he does creep those people out so they leave or there would have been more witnesses and i'm really surprised that he was i don't remember this being approached at all in the movie but you would think that he would john lithgow's character would have tried to shoot jack and murder him right then yeah he's it's weird that he doesn't like he he like makes him look crazy he erases all of his um audio recordings yeah and you know he calls i mean he seems crazy and that's there's like a lot of gaslighting happening in that way um you know the the one police officer that he talks to is like you know what are you talking about this is insane kind of thing and um and he's he, he realizes that he looks crazy that's the thing i like about it he he's not a dummy like he sees why there's doubt being thrown and he starts like making contingency plans and making real choices it's, it's just man it's just such a good like setup and structure and character development all the way across the board because it's not just travolta's character like you said burke is a really interesting villain and how he's like displayed makes us understand and and nancy allen's character that we get um we get her we're, we sympathize with her we don't we're not judging her um and at the end when she's murdered we are i was upset i was like no what the hell because you want him to succeed. Like he's been fighting this whole time to succeed. And and while they get the bad guy, you lose, you know, uh, Sally and it's, and he's devastated again. Like you said, though, there is some troubling aspects of that is like, he was really into her a little too fast. I, I think you could argue for like, not quite the Florence Nightingale effect, but kind of because he like, he saved her. So he felt like a connection to her. And she obviously maybe felt like she owed him because of that, which again is problematic, but, um, I, there is that connection. I think that, like, if you save someone's life, there's probably going to be like a, a spark of gratitude that maybe can be mis- misread as love. You know? Yeah, and that um closing scene when he like finds her, and also I can't remember what happened. I think he ran. He was in a driving a car down the middle of the city, and they're having a uh a parade that day. It's like a big it's city. It's the Liberty Festival. like in It's Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure, because the Liberty Bell. Yes. They're having that big celebration, and he like drives into that window. I just feel like he must feel tremendous guilt, because he obviously passes out. They have to, He's knocked unconscious. He's in the back of an ambulance when he wakes up, and then he you know starts running again. And it doesn't yeah. seem like a whole lot of time has passed, but I, I feel like he must feel like it's his fault. But... Hmm. Mm-hmm. When he gets there and he starts stabbing uh, Burke's character and, you know, I, I felt like, oh, he got there right in time and we find out that he doesn't. And, like, I think that this is another case where the camera is kind of spinning behind him. But it's, like, just such a contrast between what's happening around him. There's, like, this big celebration and there are all these fireworks and stuff. And, you know, it, he's dealing with something absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, and it takes him a moment to figure out that she's gone and it's just, you know. Yeah, uh, man. Um, well, even that chase sequence, I haven't like looked into how they filmed that chase sequence, but like when he's driving through like all of the crowds and the parade, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's so wild. Like, it's like, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And it's not surprising. He ends up in an accident. Cause he's like, no driving through chaos. Obviously. I mean, the whole setup of like um, her, you know, he doesn't want to send her to this meeting because he's he's suspect about the whole thing. Uh, this movie would be much harder to pull off now because mm-hmm. she's like 
I don't know who that news reporter is. It's like you Google him, and now it's like you know who what he looks like, and that's not him, you know. But like they don't know uh, that. Yeah, um, dude, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like it, you know, because you can't just like look up a person and find what they look like if you don't. You, even you can't even like oh we'll just watch it on demand. Like no, that's not a, not a thing. If you miss if you don't watch the news, you would not know who the local news reporter is, and she clearly didn't. And he has no way to verify it or validate it. There's no cell phone. He can't text him. You know, it's Ugh. just all of this, all of the setup of this movie falls apart real fast if it's modern, um, which is great because it's not. So it's like it works perfectly. But um, you'd have to do a lot of a lot of hoop jumping to make this movie play out the same way if it was happening right now. Um, but uh, that's why this movie's great, because there is you totally like I get why she doesn't know who he is. And I get why he has to just go in good faith that it's that guy. And he's 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 even he doubts it. He's suspicious. He questions it. And I at least love that. He doesn't just. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. He's like, why? Why did he call you? How did this happen? And she's just like she's so pushy and she's so gullible. She's proven that throughout this film, her character is a little naive about how awful people are. Um, and so she's just like, what are you talking about? It's gonna be fine. And then her, like, agreeing to go with Burke is just more of that, you know, like, yeah, yeah, we'll go on the subway. And he's like, what are you doing? Don't do that. And he's chasing after her, and man. God, and just the frustration, like, I I don't know about you, but if I were in his situation, I think that I would, like, lose, like, all sense of reason and would have been trying to, like, really, like, you know, even though I know it's, like, one way where he can hear her and she can't hear him. I yeah. still feel like, um, and like that whole scene of him, like following her down, Burke following her down the stairs and stuff and following behind her. And he's like, Oh, don't look at me. We don't want to seem like we're together. That whole, it's just so creepy. It's mm-hmm. so creepy. Yeah. And uh, like the backstory too, of him, like being, uh, a, like helping with the undercover like operation and the wire being found out and the guy being hung and him feeling that that guilt that only comes back into this now because same thing he sent a he sent someone in to get the information and now it, it it he loses another one so like that's all the more reason he's like dead inside at the end of this movie because not only did he lose a second person for you know actions that he put them into but this one he was clearly falling in love with and you know, completely takes full responsibility of her loss and, and yet uses her scream. Like it's tormenting him in so many ways. It's so brutal. Like just wild to me. Yes. I, I, so Bill was like watching the beginning of the movie with me and it started, (laughs) you know, like he's like, who does that? You know, these, I guess they're teenagers just, you know, full nudity sex in front of an open window and then yeah. getting upset somebody's looking in and he's like what are you watching and i was like i don't know i think it's the wrong movie <laughs> but like i don't know i thought i think that it really does bookend i it, it's I it's know. such a brilliant bookend because again that that sequence if you if that was just the opening of the film it would still be really good because it leads into his job and then it makes sense but how it ties back in that it's not just this throwaway moment. It's what makes this like a masterpiece to me. And you know why it's on the Criterion Collection, why it's a De Palma. Like a lot of people seem to be saying it's his best, which Dang. is interesting um, because the movie that I, I haven't seen a lot of De Palma films. And I, I want to see Corey, what you've seen. I, I know you've seen Carrie, 
Yes. Uh, we both like Carrie a lot. Uh, Carrie's one that a lot of people would put up there, I think, as well as like his best film. Um, have you, have you seen the first Mission Impossible movie? Uh, I've seen parts of it. So I am a huge fan of the Mission Impossible franchise. However, I am a huge fan of number three and past. I love everything after th- like three and on. Two is terrible. One is good, but one is really boring. One is so slow and I cannot rewatch it. That is De Palma. Um, he only does one. I, again, I think it's very competent. I think it's a very well-made film. I just find it to be so boring, especially if you compare it to any of the other ones after two, because they're just so much action and awesomeness. Um, the film that I think most people know of his is Scarface. Have you ever seen oh, yeah. Scarface? Yes, a million times. Really? I, 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 I've seen it um, f- for sure once in the last couple of years. Uh, it was uh, Mike, who we used to do uh, top five movies with on this very uh, feed. Um, it was a, f- a favorite of his, and he and I watched it together a few years back um because i had not seen it at least not as an adult i think i'd seen parts of it as a kid like my mom would have it on or whatever and obviously there's a lot of scenes from that movie everybody has seen um it's yeah oh sorry go ahead oh no it's just it's um the only movie that's like up high on his list that i had not watched is untouchables um Mm. which is the uh, costner and i believe sean connery yeah um i need to watch that one it's been on my radar for a long time it's I've caught pieces of it and it felt so like cheesy, but I, I believe that is exactly the tone that it's going for. It's going for like a satirical parody kind of thing. Um, and that's, I don't think I fully grasp what De Palma's like voices yet. And his filmography is varied. Um, it's quite compelling. We're going to be watching dress to kill for this uh, month as well. Um, I'm planning on watching body double in the meantime. Uh, he also worked with Al Pacino again in Carlito's Way in '93, so oh. it, he has an interesting, you know, filmography. Some things are not so popular. I just realized he directed the Bonfires of the Vanities, though, which I want to watch solely because it's uh, Tom Hanks and Bruce Willis together, which is a, a pairing I had not hey. realized existed. Yeah, what? I think it's so funny because you said your mommy still like have Scarface on, and it was one of my dad's favorite movies, and my sister and my brother also love it. It's a good movie, don't get me wrong, but it was like a, you know, like a comfort film maybe for them. It was just playing like yeah. all the time for my dad, just super casual, no big deal. So Scarface I, is one of those early antiheroes that people like aspire to be like. Um, I like every rapper that I grew up with in the '90s would reference Scarface, and like I didn't know, you know, I never, I was never into like gangster and mob movies, so like I never bothered with like The Godfather until way later. Or Goodfellas was the first of those I finally broke, um, and watched, which is another Scorsese film. Um, in fact, I mean, when you think about it, like Scarface, The Godfather, and Goodfellas are considered like the three like big mob mobster movies, and those are three films from the movie brats. You have For Coppola, you have oh. Palma, and you have Scorsese. Um, Spielberg's the only one who hasn't really done a, a mobster movie, uh, and Lucas, but I mean, that's not, that's not Lucas's wheelhouse. Um, but I'm surprised Spielberg hasn't done a, a mob movie, actually, now that I think about it. It's not in his sensibilities, to be fair. Um, if he did one, it would have to be, like, the mobster trying to get out of it, like, starting a family kind of thing. That would be more in Spielberg's, uh, thematic wheelhouse, but, um, it'd be interesting to see if he ever does one. I'm, I'm like double checking his filmography in my brain. I'm like, I no, he's definitely never done a uh, gangster. Work. Obviously Scorsese has done many other ones. We have the Irishman and casino as, as well, but um, yeah. 
but yeah, uh, it is interesting that like three of the biggest mobster movies come out of this group of directors. Um, also interesting, the um, I think you will need to buy Blowout on Criterion because it has amazing uh, cover. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, the cover's cool. But he has two other movies on Criterion, Dressed to Kill and Sisters. I just feel like that's a lot for one director. Um, Hitchcock's got the most, I think, but that's oh, not I bet. surprising. But like, um, no. Um, also, though, Wes Anderson, like almost all of Anderson's movies oh, are on dang, Criterion. Oh, you're right. Um, yeah. And he's, I mean, he's only got 10, but like almost, I think almost every single one of his films is on the Criterion. Um, if not all of them, actually. I don't know if the French Dispatch has not been announced yet, but I'm sure it will be if if it's not. Because like they, they, Grand Budapest has a really cool box art for that. Um, I own uh, Life Aquatic, um, yes. Bottle Rocket, uh, Rushmore. Um, oh, no, I don't own Rushmore Criterion, but it is on Criterion. Um, I have uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. And I think I have one more of his on Criterion. And then, um, but the, like all of them are on there, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, but which makes sense. His, his aesthetic alone was like perfect for the Criterion box art. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, he's an interesting director that I want to explore more. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm already kind of juggling some directors. Um, while we're on the topic of Criterion, I want to, uh, mention something to you and then also, uh, give them some praise. So, uh, at the last Criterion sale, I bought the Wong Kar Wai box set um, because I realized uh, he was a director I kept seeing people reference and I had not seen any of his movies. Um, and I was like, what what, what better way to do this than just buy the box set, you know? And that was my first, like, I, well, I was going to say it's my first big Criterion box set, but I have the Bruce Lee box set, which is five movies, so that's not small. Um, you got me the Police Story box set with the, the two Jackie Chan movies. Um, but this was one I was like, I really want to, I want to do this. So I, I bought it a while back. My goal was once summer started, I was going to knock out all seven movies on the, in the box set. And, and partly because watching everything everywhere all at once, I immediately picked up on his aesthetic that they, they reference in one of the, uh, the arcs in that movie. And I'm like, that looks like Wong Kar Wai. And I'm like, it's wild that I know that having never seen a Wong Kar Wai movie, but his style is so uh, distinctive that I picked up on it just from like the little clips I'd seen. So I started watching the box set this weekend. Watch the first movie. I liked the first movie. So I was pretty good. Go to watch the second movie. Um, I'm about an hour into the hour and a half long film and it freezes. And I'm like, well, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, so I take the disc out. I wipe the disc off. I, there's no reason I should have to do that, but I'm thinking, you know, whatever. I'll go through the motions here. Put it back in. Same thing. It like freezes at like an hour and eight minutes or something. I'm like, what is going on? So I, I, you know, I, I restart my Xbox and I'm, I'm trying it again. Same thing. And it's not like I, I'm like, I'll just skip ahead. You know, no big deal. I'll skip like a couple minutes. Will not let me skip. It is stuck at an hour, eight minutes. It is not going to work. So I start Googling and find out that, yeah, this is a problem. Uh, in fact, not only is disc two, but the other six discs that I have not watched yet, the other five discs that I have not watched yet are known to have this problem. And I'm like, this is bullcrap. This is such an expensive box set for like six movies to not work. Um, so 
I find out though, uh, Criterion also they had a, a similar problem with their 4K releases when they started doing the 4K Blu-rays uh, a few months ago. The Citizen Kane, I believe, had the defective disc run. Um, good news is Criterion uh, backs their product, so uh, I followed the steps. I emailed the people. Um, I got an email back with here are my instructions. I had to uh, send an email with my address and a picture of all of the discs. With I had to write. I had to write in Sharpie on all six discs um, to prove that I had them and also to prove that I was like, you know, these are mine. They're not someone other. I didn't like find a picture on Google kind of thing, you know, um, and send the picture in and then they'll they'll ship me mine. And I got my shipping confirmation already. I think on uh, Tuesday I got my shipping confirmation. So my my replacement discs are in route. So my first bad experience with Criterion Disc where I had a problem which is, again, super upsetting when you spend a lot of money on something and it doesn't work. But I'm very happy to see that they they are handling it. They're, you know, they had a system in place and it's moving pretty quickly. But it did um, delay me finishing the Wong Kar Wai movies because now i got to wait till they all come in. Hold on. They're sending you a whole new set, right? They're sending me the sixth replacement disc. The seventh disc works, so I did not need that one to be replaced. But they made you write on all of them? Uh, only the ones that are being replaced. Okay. Yeah, no, my the the seventh disc. Um, they said sometimes the seventh disc has been glitchy, but mine worked, so I I wasn't gonna take advantage. Um, you know, I don't I I want the system to be there, and so I don't want to like you know take advantage of something uh that is not necessary. So I just did the six. So I yeah, will be getting cool. all of the other films uh here soon, hopefully finishing watching them because I I really want to watch them. I was really vibing. Um, he's got a very interesting style of storytelling. Uh, Wong Kar Wai does, but. Um, I say all that because I uh, the Criterion sale is approaching quickly. Um, it's almost it's halfway through June, so if tradition holds, uh, first week July, of July. Right? Um, and I want to buy the Fellini box set uh, this this summer. That's been a plan of mine for a while. Um, it's hard to see a lot of the Fellini movies uh, outside of that box set, so I'm really hoping it's going to be a good price, and I'm going to snag it. Um, but this this uh, incident did make me now I'm like I'm going to Google first and see if people were having problems with that box set before I drop money on it so um, who knows right but it doesn't seem like it's a common problem but it does seem like recently it's been a problem uh, so who knows what the reason for that is if it's some kind of you know production problem or if it's maybe uh, Blu-ray players are having not updating their firmware or something I, I don't know but it, it has happened more often than it was um, but yeah, uh, do you have anything else about Blowout or um, Criterion or De Palma that you want to mention before we uh, wrap up for the night? Um, no, I'm glad that, well, I do want to say that I am glad that we enjoyed this movie and I hope that we enjoy the next one. Yes, um, which we will talk about momentarily, but yeah. Yeah, so I'm just, you know, since we went in hard with two movies <laughs> for one director. <laughs> um. Well, Yes, but but the next movie that we're watching is not uh, De Palma. We're going to Francis Ford Coppola next. Um, because you picked, for next week, uh, Rumblefish. Oh, yeah. You forgot, huh? Um, you did pick for the My the life last is a mess. Week. Well, we could, we could do Dress to Kill next and do Rumblefish at the end. Oh, it doesn't matter. We're going to... Well, I mean, if you want to, we could go back to back no. to Palma. Okay, no. okay. No, no, no. That's not your style. That's my style. I'm, I'm not all my like, style. Um, it so, stresses me out, actually. 
I, I guess you also didn't realize that I picked uh, a Ford Coppola movie for my second movie, though. So we'll, oh, we'll go back to back Ford Coppola. No. <laughs> um, but uh, so we're watching Rumblefish, a movie that Corey didn't know existed. I only recently had discovered because I just watched the unbearable, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, and so I was like going through Nicolas Cage's filmography and Rumblefish is one of his early films. I don't know if you know that uh, Nicolas Cage is a nephew to Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Um, so uh, this is one of his earliest films. It stars though, Matt Dillon, Mickey Rourke, Diane Lane, Dennis Hopper. Uh, and, and then Nicolas Cage is on there. So is Chris Penn and young Lawrence Fishburne. I didn't know that. That's fun. Um and a few other nepotism because uh, Sofia Coppola is acting in this movie. Um, <sighs> but uh, it's from 1983, so just a couple years after Blowout. Um, it has a high rating. Uh, it's actually, wow, and David Ehrlich gave it four and a half stars, which is saying something. So I'm excited to check this one out. I actually knew nothing about this. Um, you know, Dylan would also work with For Coppola on uh, The Outsiders. So this is uh, his, I, I think Outsiders is after this, right? It's like 85? Um, now I will talk more about Four Coppola next week, so I won't get into that. But, um, Corey is a big fan of one of Four Coppola's later movies, and I, I don't like it. <laughs> oh, God, I- you and our mutual friend give me so much shiitake about that. It's so bad, Corey. The, the I don't want to so hear bad. it from you guys. I like um, what I like. I, I did not. Uh, Rumblefish and The Outsiders are both 1983, so they came out the oh, same dang. year. Um, so that's wild. I- Oh, so I, so there, yeah. So I loved the Outsiders book and then they stacked the cast for the movie and I just, it just didn't live up to the movie for me. I'm sorry. And I love Patrick Swayze. But that's a misconception. They did not stack the cast for that movie because they were not, they were nobodies. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, from your perspective, it was a stacked cast. Yeah. But it was, it predates. uh, But yes, no, uh, I taught that book and I was like, I wonder if they have a movie. And I saw the movie. I was like, holy crap. How do I not know about this movie? It's like (laughs) Like, everybody. I know. It's got like, I've got it pulled up, guys. Matt Dillon. Ralph Macchio. Yes. Karate Kid himself. Always feel like I'm going to say that wrong. Rob Lowe. Patrick Swayze. Tom Cruise. Emilio Estevez. um, Sofia Coppola's in it. Uh, Uh, Lee Garrett. Diane Lane. There's someone else in this. Baby Diane Lane was interesting. Tom Waits, Flea? Like, uh, I thought there was another woman in it that I was like, what? But it was probably Baby Diane Lane. I was like, it was so weird because, like, especially when you have only ever seen people as adults and then you see mm-hmm. them as, like, you know, it takes a few minutes. But. Yeah. Um, and see Thomas Howell, who is kind of famous, but he is the lead. He is the ironic thing is he is the lead and the least famous of everybody in the cast um uh tom cruise does a backflip off the hood of a car in that movie but that's not the movie we're gonna watch next week so we don't want to focus on that we're watching rumblefish the other 1983 horde coppola film that neither of us have seen um and then the week after we'll be watching the conversation a movie of his that i've been desperately meaning to watch for a long time similar in in uh tone to blowout actually though but different director and then we will end the month with dress to kill um, the other uh, De Palma. So we're, we're really doing Ford Coppola and De Palma this month um, because the Spielberg films I haven't seen, I don't, I don't really want to watch. That's why I haven't seen them. Um, yeah, so I, I had just, a hard time 
with the other. And then uh, I've seen all Scorsese stuff, and I I do want to watch THX, but also like not not really. Like it's like oh I'm God. good if I don't ever watch it. Um, oh my goodness, I'm like having brain fog. But um, one of the other directors, like the only movies of his that I have left are like three hours plus. Uh, Scorsese or John Milius, maybe. No, because no, Milius, yeah, Milius' filmography is not only not very long, but there's the only movie on the list that I would be interested in watching is Conan the Barbarian, and I, I, interested is a strong. That's that's a little strong. I I would watch it, but I'm not going to watch like Big Wednesday or Dillinger, which is another mob movie though. So there's another everybody hey. but Lucas and uh, Spielberg apparently knocked those out, but, um. Anywho, folks, that's our episode. We will be back in two weeks uh, with our review of uh, Rumblefish from 1983. Um, it, that looks like you need to buy or rent. It does not appear to be streaming on any service at the moment. Um, I have purchased it off of Vudu, um, so you can check it out however you want. Uh, we'll be back to talk about it in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you can follow us um, on social media. I'm at Burke Reviews and Corey. At Corey, our star two hours on the end. And if you like what we're doing here at Movie Club Podcast, we ask you to take just a minute and give us that five-star review on whatever podcast catcher you are using. Until next time, remember, keep watching movies. Hey, this is Matt from What I Watch Tonight. Come join me in the back row for movie discussion, retrospective episodes with guests, director-focused shows, end-of-year rankings, start-of-the-year predictions, and much, much more. There's more going on in the back row than you might think. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.